On this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast, I focus on a year in podcasting, a year in golf, and what next year will bring. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Thanks for tuning in in 2018 and look forward to hearing from you and talking with you in 2019. Have a great Christmas, happy new year, and let's look forward to what uh, the 2019 golfing year brings. guys so thanks for joining in and thanks for listening so far on my podcasting journey now five episodes in and it's been a real pleasure and privilege to be able to talk to you across this medium and I've received a lot of great feedback and a lot of positive comments from people from all parts of, uh, of my life some people that I know work with some people that I play golf with a lot of great feedback from the people who were supporting me in the podcast and their feedback. And I really, really appreciate everyone that's been part of it, everyone that's offered some feedback, everyone that's listened in. And uh, I can't tell you how much from the bottom of my heart that I really do appreciate you and your time. So let's talk about this year. It's been a great year for me in golf, predominantly predicated on the fact that I finished the year golfing-wise on this day, the week before Christmas, on the lowest handicap that I've been in a while. And for me, that's particularly pleasing. Obviously, on a number of levels, because it's the lowest handicap I've had for a long time. But this year for me was was about trying to achieve that. And it really has taken the whole year to, to get to my low point. And it was a bit of a journey getting there. And it's a journey that I enjoyed. And it's one that started with a little bit of self-realization about uh, myself and what I needed to, to do and implement in making golf a better and more enjoyable place for me to be. Now, that's not to say that I wasn't enjoying my golf because I love it. Of course I was, but I probably wasn't playing to my fullest potential and I'm in some respects still not, but through getting rid of a few hang-ups where I was probably focused on the wrong things and just focusing on the enjoyment of the game, enjoyment of the course, enjoyment of the people around me, it's really freed up my mind to play better golf. And and that's been a big thing for me because, you know, I set some standards for myself. You know, I do want to get down to the lowest possible handicap that I ever can uh, and play the best, best rounds, have the most pars, the most birdies, no different to anyone out there listening. So I'm finishing the year on a 3.5 index uh, with the GA. So that puts me on a daily playing handicap of four, two shots aside, mostly. And, um, and for me, for an old boy like me, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm happy with that. My game is in an okay position if I was to rate it. Um, if I had to rate my long game, I'd give that an A. You know, when I say long game, driver, fairway wood, driving irons, I give it an A. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay in that spot. My irons probably a B, 
I used to be a little bit better with mine, so if I'm honest. I was, I was usually always pretty strong with my ball striking, especially that sort of seven, eight, nine iron space. Not so much now. It's an area I need to work on. But really for me in 2019, where I will be focusing my most attention on game improvement is my short game. Inside 110 meters, whether it's you know wedging in, chipping in, pitching in, or putting, that really, if I had to rate that, would be a C to C minus. Really, I let a lot of shots leak there. For those of you that know me and have played with me, you know it. I have got better. I've tried to free up the bit of the, the, the lack of confidence in that mind space to help me improve you know, my chipping, especially. Just walking up, chipping, hitting, um, and pitching the ball. Putting, you know, it's my distance control on the longer putts. That's what I need to improve. My short putts are okay, but my long putting and getting those longer putts in that two-putt range uh, is a challenge. So that's where I'll be dedicating a bit of work. So 2018 in a golfing sense was overall pretty positive. I've had a great time playing a very, very good golf course. I've seen that develop and turn into what will be uh, one of Australia's better golf courses, my home course at Peninsula Kingswood. It's really getting a lot of attention. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people want to play it. It's one of the you know few 36-hole complexes in the Melbourne Sandbelt. Well, there's only one other one, which is really Royal Melbourne. And uh, it's still growing. It's still you know betting its changes in. You know Mike Cocking and Mike Clayton and the OCCM team have done an absolute amazing job with the place. Everyone that I've spoken to that has had the pleasure of playing there um, speak really highly of it. It's just phenomenal, the work that's been done. Um, and it's only going to get better. So I'm really, really pumped for what next year brings in a golfing sense personally. Um, what else will 2019 bring on a golfing sense personally for me? Many of you don't know, not, I haven't really told many people and no real reason to, but some time ago, this earlier on this year, uh, Brendan from Golf Australia magazine invited me to be part of the top 100 course rating panels for the Golf Australia 2020 rating panel, which was nice. Um, I just touched base with Brendan, not to ask him about that, but just more inquiring around the rating process and procedure, you know, like being someone who likes golf and golf architecture, I was always curious about how these rating, uh, top rating, top 100 rating panels um, produce their results. So he he reached out and said, "Look, Ross, you know, it looks like you play a bit of golf and play at a wide variety of courses. Why don't you jump on?" So I took that opportunity, and I haven't had a a full season yet of playing around the traps, but I've struck a number of courses off the list. You know, we've got to do a minimum to be part of that and to be able to submit. Um, our feedback so really my focus in 2019 is to play as many courses and complete my required amount of ratings um, as part of that little group whether you're someone who likes ratings or not um, you know that's that's up to you I, I personally uh, I don't gauge a course by where it sits in the top 100 yes it's a nice um, feeling it's a nice to know that you know you're playing a top 100 course it's somewhat subjective but the ratings are the ratings yeah it's a it's a compilation you know 
I won't go into that now because I don't know enough about the compilation of the results. I just know how I have to do it. But, um, you know, if you like that, great. If it's just a guide for you, that's great too. So where have I played in recent times that, you know, you might be interested to know about? Well, there is one course in particular. Just after the Melbourne Cup week, my wife and I took a little trip down to Port Ferry, beautiful little town, about two and a half hours to the west of Melbourne on what we know as the Shipwreck Coast, you know, which is down past Warrnambool, Mark Leishman Territory, little town of Port Ferry, has some Irish and Celtic origins, so that was the appeal for my wife and I being of you know, Scottish-Irish Celtic background. But for me, my real interest was to get down and play Port Ferry. So according to Mike Clayton, um, who's been intrinsic in the development of Port Ferry into what it, we know it and see it and play it today, it's one of a handful of what he considers true, you know, Scottish-Irish Lynx-style courses in Australia on the mainland. So the other one is probably, uh, I think, maybe um, Bowen Heads, but Port Ferry, down in that same part of the world, certainly is one of those true Lynx-style courses. So it was a real pleasure to go and play it you know I didn't really have too many expectations I'd never been I'd been to Port Ferry but never to the golf course before and when you drive in it's very clear that it is in Lynx land you know I've been lucky enough to experience what Lynx land in Scotland and Ireland looks like and for me it was probably more like an Irish Lynx land layout um, you know the sand dunes that you know right on the on the edge of the water you know that coast um, crashing in you know, in Australia, it's that um, Bass Coast that crashes into that part of the, the, the land. In Ireland, it's the Atlantic Coast that crashes in over the rock formations and beaches. And it was very, very similar. It reminded me of uh, a course that I played last year at Naran and Port New and had a lot of similarities. You know, that, some of those similarities were some of the opening holes. They were fairly gentle, you know, not too linksy. But then at around the sort of 8th, ninth. You know, especially then 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, you really head up into the dune country, traipsing along uh, the coastline. You've got some dramatic holes, elevated tees, you know, rolling fairways, small pot bunkers, slightly blown out in some parts, beautifully manicured, you know, mixture of grasses on the course. You know, it's not true links in that sense, but mixture of grasses, we'll talk about that in a sec. But really interesting holes, not overly long. You know, it's probably just under 6,000 metres, so it was pretty short. Obviously, being a Lynx course, the test is in the weather. I struck it on a fairly gentle day in terms of wind. So, you know, I played driving irons, I played wedges, played seven irons, a few knockdown shots. There was a bit of wind about. Greens were beautiful. I think the greenkeeper down there is a former um, lawn bowl greenkeeper, so, he, you know, he's used to making and presenting greens that roll very, very smoothly. They do keep them a little soft, you know, because of um, making it somewhat easier for the balls to stay and hold on the green. You know, the wind, if, it, if the greens were too firm, would play havoc down there. So they keep them fairly generous, and uh, but they run beautifully through the greens. And that's a very good um, testament to a great quality greenkeeper when you've got country like that where greens roll really well you know you've got someone who gives a damn and is very good at his craft so in terms of the design i'm not exactly sure how long the course has been there i think it moved to its current site in the 60s before that it was 
obviously elsewhere. It's about 5Ks outside of the town of Port Ferry. And um, Mike Clayton has been one of the driving forces behind, you know, helping the guys down there um, turn that into a true links course and get the benefit out of the, the landforms and, and the natural characteristics that those dunes, especially on the coast, offer. So, Mike, congrats. Well done to you. It's... Um, it's a great testament to your craft and your passion for that Lynx Golf and, you know, your obvious, um, you know, insights into spending as much time as you have done in Europe playing, studying, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a credit to you and your guys that uh, that course is really can be held high as a true Lynx course in Australia. I think the last Golf Australia magazine rating had it around the 40s and from what I can remember, it's above a lot of well well-known um, courses you know I think Huntingdale it was above Huntingdale at some state at some point Indrapilly a few courses in Queensland um, so once again you know whatever rating panels rating um, guidelines mean to you you can have that but a group of people rated it and, and positioned it in that mid 40s out of a hundred of Australia's best courses so it gives you a really strong indication of how highly it is regarded and one of the overriding um, comments that I had and then once reviewing some of the other previous ratings was that it was fun and you know I just zoomed around by myself and you know so I didn't have anyone playing with me there but it was fun you know you can see that it's a real shot makers course you have to play shots and you know if you do that you know you'll score pretty well if you can't or don't play the shots required you might struggle so um yeah, that was Port Ferry, and I just thought I'd leave you with a little bit of, you know, my experience down there because it really was a real pleasant one, real eye-opener for me, and uh, one that I can't wait to go back to and experience again. Loved it. Port Ferry, get down there. Tell them I sent you. So what else? So golf clubs, you know, I've said all along that, you know, I'm in the golf retail industry, so I get to see, touch, and feel pretty much everything. Um, a lot of people have asked and always ask what I play with. And, you know, whether they're looking for inspiration from me, what I use or what I like to get some, you know, qualification around what they should, that's, you know, neither here nor there. I use golf clubs that I feel comfortable with, that suit my game, that suit my swing, and ones that I think that I can play my best golf with. You know, the downside of doing what I'm doing, downside, upside, whether whichever way you look at it, is I probably get a lot in my hand and I probably get a lot that I want to use that I think can make me a better player. That's probably as much to do with my disposition on, you know, being someone who thinks a new club can help them improve. I, I do believe that, um, especially if it's better than and offers you more than your, your previous clubs. For me, I'm probably clutching at a few straws because I've got access to, you know, pretty much all the weapons that I need. But... You know, if I look back through the year, there's been a couple of sets that have stayed with me that I use in rotation, and um, let's have a little look at what they are. The driver, for me, the driver has pretty much been a constant. I started the year, basically finished last year with the Ping G400. It's 440ccs. It's the smallest head that they've made for a while. I use the Torex uh, Ping proprietary shaft. It's a shaft that's either made by UST or Aldilla 4-Ping to Ping specs. It's almost, you know, like a five hundred dollar upcharge shaft, but with you know a fifty dollar extra cost. It's a great shaft. I use the Tor X Flex, uh, ten degrees loft. I love that club. It's really really good. I've tried the M3. I've tried the M4. I've tried the Rogue, the Epic, uh, the TS2, the TS3. 
you know, the Cobra F8. Um, I had a little go of the uh, Wilson C300. I pretty much used all of them at different times for different periods of time. And really, once I get the shaft in those heads, they're great as well. But for me, I just end up gravitating towards the, it's like my little comfort zone of that ping, probably because I've used a few of them before, but I just have this innate sort of affinity for that club in the top end of my bag, so I use it. Um, moving through to the irons, you know, I've got a set of Powerbuilt Forged prototypes. I've kept them. Um, I like them. Not too many people know about them or would use them, but I like them. I keep them there. If I really have got that blade type, traditional classic blade type feeling, I'll go and play with them. One that's a bit strange and left the field that um, still people are sort of intrigued and jumping onto and you know ask a lot of questions about, but don't go there. I've got a set of Cobra forged one lengths. Yes, I was probably one of the first guys to jump on the one length um, wagon. You know, I saw Bryson DeChambeau playing out here a couple of years ago. He fascinated me. I studied up a little bit about it when Cobra released that product. I said, yep, you know, if anyone's going to lead the way in trying these and letting people know what they're like, it should be me. Why not? So I, I've got to set. Usually if something doesn't work for me and I don't like it or, or whatever, I move it on. Um, I'm not using the one lengths at the moment, but I still have them. And I've probably swung in and out of the one length maybe two or three times this year. You know, one particular time I had a sore back. Um, I just went back to that to make those lower irons a little bit more comfortable for me to play. And uh, they fly high. They go the distances that I expect them to go that my other, you know, sevens, eights, nines irons go, etc. And um, I really enjoy them. They're a great club. I encourage anyone to try it if that's what they think might help their golf. You should try them because it does it does make you know especially that iron plate a much simpler concept one swing one plane um, let the club do the work it does work and you know, if you ever want to try it you should the clubs that i find in my bag now the strixon z785's new model um, forged really classic looking blade style better players looking club i've made it that with um, the nippon modus 120 x flex shaft just gone down a little bit in weight, gone to an X, up from a stiff in that shaft, and uh, it works pretty well for me. It's a low ball flight shaft for me. Um, I like its control and dispersion, and I've always found that with the Nippon shaft for me, that the dispersion is the overriding factor that keeps me coming back to it. I hit it nice and tight. Um, length for me, I, I, I don't go measuring length too much. That's just a personal thing. I'm more about, you know, if I ask, ask you what do you want, more, more, more straight or more long, I'm the guy that always wants more straight. So I've got those. The other thing that I change a bit is my wedges. I've got started the year with the Cleveland RTX um, 3. I moved into a set of Mac Daddy 4s. They were, they were really nice. I like that Roger Cleveland uh, design. You know, I've still got a club that Roger Cleveland gave me. I've met Roger and he's a classic man. I like his shape. He's basically the... The founder of the modern wedge shape, um, you know, and he and Bob Vokey, you know, shape what modern wedges are all about. Roger's been chief club designer at Callaway for a long time. He makes a great wedge. I used those for a while. I jumped into a set of Ping um, Glide 2.0 Stealth. So that's the black ones, um, the black color ones. They're a little softer. They're made out of a different metal, the 8620 carbon steel with the insert, really super soft club. And I like the feel, I like the shape. Um, and I'm using those at the moment. 
And I'm also using, I'm sort of flicking, you know, in and out of the new RTX 4s uh, from Cleveland. So I'm giving those a bit of a go as well. Massive change in that shape from the RTX 3 Cleveland. Um, much better in my opinion in terms of the shape, much straighter leading edge, much sharper. Um, you know, the spin off the club is sensational. Really, really enjoy it. I tried a new shaft in that, you know, without try having tried it in play, I tried a new shaft. That was the Modus Wedge Flex, 115 Wedge Flex. And as much as I'm a Modus fan, in this particular Wedge Flex shaft, it just doesn't work for me. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. I do like the standard wedge shaft that comes with the Cleveland's. So I've used that in the past. Beautiful. This one, for whatever reason, is not working. I'm going to give it another, another go and persist with it a little bit more. I am enjoying the clubs. They spin like nothing else. So um, maybe it's just me. I think I said earlier on that my you know long game's A, my iron game's a B, my short game's a C minus. You know, my putting is ordinary. My long putts are ordinary. Putters I change a little bit of. You know, I've got a couple of rifes that I'm into. Um, and then I've also got the tailor-made spider, tall spider, Dustin Johnson edition, one with a silver insert, a little bit firm on the face, no line. I use that one um, to try and get away from the, the reliance on the line. I sort of tried both. And at the moment, I'm having some success on the shorter parts with no line. Who knows why? There's probably a thousand studies that or people that can tell you why you know i think it's a bit of left eye dominance right eye dominance one or the other i haven't studied that much on it but i just know that i'm trying it without the line and and like it i just have to get the distance control piece right so um that's my putters next year what, what my goals are are to maintain where i'm at with my golf but i also want to do some work on this short game so you know part of my podcasting will be you know around talking around uh, what I'm doing to improve and, and who I'm talking to and what I'm doing and I'm sort of going to try and digest the lessons that I take on the podcast as, as one of the re, you know updates and I'm going to try and seek out um, a couple of gurus on short game who hopefully can help me take it to the next level. If you're a guru and want to apply for that position, you can let me know, no worries. But um, you have to be good because it's a big job. Anyway, it mustn't be all that bad. There was a time once upon a time where if I actually chipped the ball onto a green and my podcast guest Mike Ferroni would vouch for this, if I chipped it onto the green and my next shot was a putt of any distance, I would be happy. I can safely say I'm better now, much better, but it's still, you know, not great. And, you know, I had the privilege of playing with um, Bryden McPherson last week down at Peninsula Kingswood. He's a member down there. He was... Just back from um, in Australia for a little bit, and I got to see firsthand what a tour pro's game is like. And whether he hit off with a driving iron or a wood, whether he had a seven iron or a gap wedge in, it was pretty much always to within 15 feet. And the difference was whether he rolled the putt in or not. But he was rock solid, and it really did make me realize that if my short game was at another level, nowhere near his level, of course, but it was an, if it was at another level to what it is now, then this 3.5 index handicap might actually become 2.5 or 1.5. Certainly my long game's at that level, but my short game's not. So that's, that's next year for me. Anyone wants to help, <laughs> I'll take any advice on board, but I will seek out some very good professional help to um, try and develop that and keep you abreast of it.
also next year, I'm looking at maybe um, doing a few more course reviews, as I, as I said, and might try and introduce a little bit of video. My um, son helps me produce this podcast, and he's studying media and communications, and this podcasting has been a really nice way of bringing us together um, in his first year of university. He's a talented young man in a number of areas, and, uh, and he's got a passion for this. His main passion is football, um, so he's working away in that space, but we took talk and work together on the podcast, and uh, it's been a really nice experience. One of the arsenals that he wants to develop, or the things in his arsenal that he wants to develop is video. So we might do a bit of video together and, um, and just see how that comes across. I've got, not a, I've got a, not, a, not a good voice for radio, not a good face for radio, or a good face for radio. I don't know what to say, but um, I think you know what I mean. But, you know, I'm lucky enough to get access to having a few great experiences. So let's share that. Um, so next year, more podcasts. You know, I've got some great people lined up to talk to. I didn't release them now because coming into Christmas, uh, it's a busy time. I want to have, you know, give the people maximum opportunity to have, have their time to, um, you know, share their story with me in a in a golfing sense. So some great people lined up. Um, you know, who am I listening to? So, so a lot of people have asked since they've discovered um, listening to podcasts like I have. You know, who do I listen to in the golfing sense? In a golfing sense, well, let's not talk about golfing first. Let's go back to my first initial influence about a podcast and finding out about podcasting. James Shramko from Sydney. James, you won't be listening, but if you are, thank you, man. You know, you and I came together and we met each other in a Mercedes-Benz time. You were a general manager of a dealership, one of the bigger ones in Sydney. I was a guy who used to come around and bother you about training and staff improvement and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> I realize now that, you know, not too many new not too many people knew as much as you. I barely, you know, wouldn't even touch the sides with the amount of information that I had, you know, compared to you. Uh, I listened to your podcast when I discovered that you were prolific in that space. And, um, you know, you really inspired me from your learnings and the people that you talked to and opened up my eyes to um, having a crack at this myself. Uh, the guys like Pat Flynn that you introduced me to through podcasting and um, Chris Ducker, Gary V, you know, those guys in that entrepreneurial space, really motivational, really empowering. And, um, you know, and I continue to listen to those guys. So, that, so James, thank you, man, for your time and um, putting out your content. I love it. That led me to golf podcasts. You know, who am I listening to there? I tend not to listen to the podcasts that want to talk about the tour. I digest the tour on TV. I try and watch as much as I can. I play it most days. Um, I like watching it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll listen to a few opinions. If there's if there's a particular event that's caught my interest, yeah, I'll sort of listen to a few around the Ryder Cup. And I don't listen to too many. I listen to No Laying Up a little bit. Um, the Cart Barn guys, listen to those guys. You know, I like the stuff that they've done on their travels. Um, the Golficity guys, you know, they're pretty cool. I listen to those guys. You know, they offer a bit of tips. They offer a bit of product reviews. They get some lessons, on-course lessons. Um, they're pretty cool guys. Um, yeah, they've all got something great to say and a different way of offering it. Um, I was disappointed that Rick Shields' podcast didn't keep going on because, you know, I don't get a lot of time to watch Rick's videos, but um, 
I, I do and I enjoy them, but I thought his podcast might keep going. So, Rick, if you're listening, get back on the podcast, man. Do what Eric Anders Lang told you to do. Now, it brings me to Eric. He's probably the number one podcast that I listen to from uh, the States. Super guy to listen to. Very funny. Has the benefit of traveling around the world to some fantastic places. He's the guy that's behind Scratch TV's Adventures in Golf. And uh, that's interesting in its own right. You know, the last season has just wrapped up now with an episode at Miura. If you love golf and golf equipment and want to see Mr. Miura forging his own clubs, have a look at that episode. If you do nothing else, watch Eric Eric Anders Lang on Adventures in Golf. But his podcast is really interesting. You know, he gets some interesting people from, you know, that um, creative and media space. He gets some sports people. He has a bit of a rant and a bit of a self-podcast uh, himself, and he's a funny guy to listen to. But, you know, he's, he's changing the world. You know, he's got a different view on on golf and, and where golf should go if it needs to – for it to survive and succeed in its best possible form. He's got some great ideas, and, you know, he, he acknowledges that he probably won't change the game himself, but – you know, if you can influence enough people, um, you know, people might start to listen to, you know, people like us that want to see golf played forever and maybe that might mean it might have to be played a different way, you know, using different concepts, nine-hole golf, 12-hole golf, you know, relaxing some of the dress rules, you know, hats in clubhouses, who knows, whatever it is, whatever, you know, it. He, he's certainly part of that. Along the journey... You know, people are picking him up and listening to him, and he's um, he's getting access to some people and getting access to some places. So he's a man on the move, and I'm predicting big things for Eric Anders Lang in 2019. He's just released his own cap range, and I'm sure that he's got more things in the pipeline than um, than uh, you and I have uh, hot dinners uh, last year. So well done, Eric and his team. Seem like a great bunch of guys. You know, if you ever if ever shoot a message to them on Instagram or online, they'll always respond. Um, really pleasant, really funny, really obliging. Had the absolute privilege and pleasure of meeting one of Eric's team in Australia just recently. Stuart Kerr, great Scotsman, lives in Adelaide. Eric refers to Stuart as his best mate, and that's easy to see why, because Stuart was just such a engaging and passionate guy. We had an hour or so together. Um, at the launch for Caddy Magazine and spent a great time talking to Stuart's dad about football and about migration from Scotland to Australia. Really cool. But Stuart's a great guy and you know he'll be back in LA working on Eric's projects soon enough, I'm sure, and uh, look forward to staying in touch with him. Caddy Magazine, um, I believe a bunch of photographers from Melbourne punching out an absolutely amazing magazine. If you haven't got your hands on a Caddy magazine, just just go to you know, Caddy, C-A-D-D-I-E, and uh, it's like a biannual magazine, so you know a couple of times a year. I think the fifth edition has just come out. It's the Melbourne Sandbelt edition. It's absolutely amazing. It's got um, some super cool photography in there, some great words and vision from Mike Cocking, who is a golf architect who I absolutely look up to and it's all about the Melbourne Sandbelt you know all of those eight courses that are on that uh, in that little group and in that space fantastic high quality graphics and, and images 
and you know really 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 good long form content really good read so you know, hats off to the guys at caddy magazine really changing the way that uh, golf literature is is delivered um, so keep that up looking forward to seeing more of caddy magazine coming out and getting it on my coffee table what else it's probably about it um you know golf courses for next year yeah need to get to queensland need to get to adelaide need to get to sydney um, they're all destinations that i've had very little uh, golfing experience in a little bit in queensland indrapilly and some of the sunshine coast and gold coast courses but need to get back to indrapilly need to get to royal queensland um, in particular, Adelaide, desperate to play Royal Adelaide, desperate to play Kuyonga, desperate to play uh, the Grange, probably in that order. Um, Sydney, oh geez, where do you start with Sydney? The Australian might be hard to get onto, but you know, if I could see Shawnee Summers at Royal Sydney, that'd be awesome. I'd love to go and play New South Wales, the coast, Bonnie Doon, St Michael's, that little stretch of courses out there in La Perouse. It's always fascinated me, even when I was living in Sydney. Um, and not playing golf, but when I was living up there, uh, never got to play. But um, fascinated me that little stretch, so I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, might get back home to the Hunter Valley. I'll play the Vintage again. Uh, the, I played there this year. Uh, it was fantastic. Always liked the Vintage. Has a special little place. My brother helped build that course alongside Bob Harrison. Uh, he tells me that Bob Harrison used to get him to come out and play shots to the different uh, corners and layups just to test where the, the longer hitters hit the ball. So... You know, that's a little story from the Flanagan family. Uh, Muzz, if you're listening, I hope it's true because I've just told everyone. And, uh, yeah, that's probably – and maybe a trip overseas, maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit more Lynx golf uh, this year. Well, sorry, not this year, 2019. I'll have to negotiate that, but um, that's hopefully in the pipeline. Listen, thank you so much. If you're a guest that's been on the podcast, um, Dennis, Mike Hill – Daniel Marshall, Mike Ferroni, Justin Sipes from America. Really, really appreciate you guys being part of the First Five podcast. The downloads have been great. Feedback's been great. Really appreciate you guys. If you've listened and told me what you'd like to hear more of, less of, I really appreciate the feedback. You know, the guys that have subscribed, without you, you know, you don't get ranked. No one, you know, gets to see uh, what I'm sharing as readily um, as they can. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for subscribing. And to all of your families, have a safe Christmas. I hope 2018 has been as strong and as prosperous in every sense for you as it has for me. And here's to a great 2019, personally, professionally, golfingly, and whatever, whatever you want 2019 to be, it's all ahead of us, so let's go and get it. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.